This is WLNZ Lansing. You're listening to LCC Connect, a weekly program that features the voices, vibes, and vision of Lansing Community College. To find out more about LCC Connect programs or to listen on demand, visit us at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. Listening to Art Happens Here, the podcast that explores the often curious and occasionally amazing art installations on, in, and around the campuses of Lansing Community College. I'm your host, Bruce Mackley. Well, I'd like to welcome back Josh Reisner. Uh, painter extraordinaire, fine artist extraordinaire that is, uh, that's contributed to, uh, to LCC's cultural presence in downtown Lansing. Josh, welcome back. Hey, thank you. Yeah, no, it's that we've had a remarkable conversation part one. Um, and we could have just kept going I don't know where the time went. Uh, but at any rate, um, I'd like to discuss today. I'd like to discuss, uh, what you've done for us and I'll, I'll frame that. I'll preface that with, um, President Knight's um, vision um, of of establishing, you know, his appreciation for the power of regional heritage. That's what I call it in Lansing's history, with the manufacturing history, and folding it into the very naming the various buildings and everything. How it all goes back to this region of the state of Michigan, and how deep it it, it provides a rich. Uh, backdrop to what we do here and a value to what we do here. And uh, part of that is some of the paintings that you've done here. And I'll start with the, uh, the portrait of Malcolm X that, that we, I believe we commissioned, didn't we? Yes, you did. Yeah. Uh, to our uh, listeners, uh, this is um, a portrait of um, civil rights leader Malcolm X, uh, who did spend time in Lansing in his formative years. I believe, I believe some of his family still resides here. Yes, I want to say his younger years. I think right. it was until he was eight, but don't quote me on that. Yeah, was I think younger. Yeah, I think you're right, and I think they do. I mean, in fact, I had a friend who, who dated his grandniece, you know, <laughs> from here, and it was just so surreal, given given his, his stature in the world. Um, at any rate, this beautiful portrait. Can you um, tell us about it? Yeah, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is that when, I first met Doctor Knight. Um, I wasn't sure where that was going to go. And then when he mentioned, I had actually done another painting for him and I cannot remember which one it is at this point, but, um, I'd done a painting and I don't know if he was testing me or what. Um, I, I mean, he always he seemed to think highly of me and had no doubts. He had no doubts at all about what was going to happen. It seemed, but mm-hmm. when he approached me about Malcolm X, um, I was skeptical. I thought that it was I thought that it seemed gimmicky to me. Um, Yeah, it seemed like this was going to be a thing like, and I didn't know Dr. Knight. I didn't know the, I didn't know the the community at Lansing here, community college or whatever. I didn't know anything about it, but it just seemed like, why me? Like what, what do I, what connection do I have to this that you would want me to paint this? Interesting. And in some ways I really fretted over and, and 
I won't go in this too long, but I fretted over being like a middle-aged white guy painting Malcolm X. Interesting. I, 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 I remember saying to people, like, I struggled for months thinking, like, Malcolm X would hate me. Like, it seemed like, really? to me, now I'm saying some of this was me and my naive no, ignorance, no, no, but no, and part of me felt very, like, inauthentic about okay. the approach. So, wow. that being said, you know, he, he, he... Uh, he was never hands-on with me in terms of like, he he just said like, I want to do a Malcolm X. Mm -hmm. Look into this. As I did more research, I realized that he grew up here. Mm -hmm. I didn't even know that. I just thought it was like yeah. pulling like a star at this point. I didn't know he grew up here. So I started reading, reading what he wrote, different things like that. I actually found myself connecting to Malcolm X a little bit more and like his, his sort of, uh, I remember thinking about like his, his fortitude yeah. there was something about like i didn't care what he thought or if i we would have been on the same page maybe he would have appreciated how driven i was because mm -hmm. he obviously had that so there were different things that i tried to connect to with that painting mm -hmm. um which in the end i i felt like actually was communicated like all of that came through like we talked in the previous episode how like you can start out with all kinds of crazy ideas and like what actually happens mm -hmm. is the usually the truth. Mm -hmm. And and that particular painting turned out well. I think I think that the his uh, stature and his firmness and what he believed was definitely communicated in that and mm -hmm. I think that's the thing that I co I connected to the most. Wow, that's that is incredibly genuine of you to say to share with us. Um, the painting for listeners who aren't familiar with this particular work, um, I think it's probably six or seven feet tall by four foot wide. It's like five by four, I five think, by right four. in there. Yeah, it's an oil painting. And man, Josh plays to the strengths of his medium. I mean, those oils, you know, you see printed, if you've ever seen a printed um, in a book of a famous oil painting and then you see the actual oil painting, there's no comparison. The oh. colors can't be they can't be represented accurately in print and seeing this portrait it's over in our Gannon building and it's, it's, it's there on the wall. I mean, the whole presentation factor with the framing and the way the wall is and the lights, um, it's extremely powerful. It's extremely visually compelling. And the, the mood that you captured, and it looks like a presidential portrait, you know, he's standing there and he's, he has his hand on a book and I heard somewhere, someone told me that he used uh, Denzel's body Form is that true? Uh, yeah. Did you? Yeah. I mean, that's I, th I can't remember. Sometimes I forget now, but there was like six different references. You yeah. know, like and I have a lot of imagination to kind of. There's create, no color like, photography of him, I don't think, and this is a color portrait. Right. Yeah. That's the thing. It's all black and white. Starts right. Out with and. Uh, yeah. The question I had for you is the striking portrait, with this intense red background, that is just riveting, and it 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 underscores. Um, it, it underscores the man, it, the, the, what he was about and not, not so much anger, but intensity. Right. And he's got this look on his face, this just fortitude. Um, that had to have been intentional on your part. Was it? Yeah. I mean, it was definitely intentional. It was, ten, it was, I was, I thought a lot about, I didn't want him to seem angry, right. but there was definitely some like you said, intensity, there was a, mm. there was a, you know, I think it probably, it probably was anger at times. Like yeah, in the his, will. In his, yeah. Like there was a definitely, and I, and, I, and again, I connected to it a lot because I tend to have the same, you know, like 
sometimes it can be perceived as fortitude and then yeah. the next moment it can be stubborn, uh-huh. you know, yeah. or fury, yeah. you know, like there's all these, there's a complexity to like, yeah. you know, we want to like, we want to like make it singular, you know, or, you know, like it's this one thing. Put them in a funnel. Yeah, yeah. But I felt like, I felt like that color. Well, one, I was trying to like, I feel like the colors of Islam and I'm sorry, I forget. Sometimes I forget all the paintings, but the colors of Islam were, um, uh, red and green. Mm-hmm. So that was part, of, I jumped off of that, but mm-hmm. the red and, and part of it, it was all three of these things. Like one, just the intensity of it. The thing that I connected to the most was his like personality in terms of his dedication to what he believed. Yeah. And then, you know, there were other symbols in it. Um, but you know, it's funny sometimes it's just that the artist is fixated on particular colors. And I was fixated on like using uh primary, pure colors at that time like yeah. it just it just sort of happened at the same time in my career it was like oh i'm gonna start using you know intense color rather than yeah. like organics it was a period where i was just using natural dirt colors because right. i use my hands a lot and i was mm-hmm. like ah, i'm not going to use toxic things so i was using like browns and stuff but when i moved into that painting kind of in that area i was starting to use like more intense colors so some of that is just like the timing of life and how like you come into a commission like that at a time that you're mm-hmm. dealing with your own things that are similar and like interesting well uh, it, it it complements the calmness of the man's face in the painting they are not at odds. They're complementary, if that makes any sense. That's the that's the intentional thing. And I think any any artist that I've ever worked with or talked to, that's one of the things that I am always doing is sort mm-hmm. of trying to counter ideas. Yeah. From the very beginning, which talks to the idea that I didn't, I'm really, I'm not for like propaganda because I think it's right. singular. Mm-hmm. If I start getting too dogmatic in a painting about a particular thing, I tend to want to counter it. Mm-hmm. I tend to want to like... Yeah. push the other direction so like if i was really drawn to malcolm x like face in that particular portrait you know mm-hmm. and, like the way he looked and it was calm like collected determined then i would definitely want to push a mm-hmm. little bit more intensity around you're not into check mark you're not into check marking and check, right. checking boxes oh right. we got the civil rights leader on to the next no no, no he's no. more complicated than that yeah. and i think that's the thing that i was leery of but it's funny that in the end i found I was like, oh, well, obviously I'm not going to paint him in a yeah. gimmicky way. Like I wasn't able to do that. And no, in the doesn't. end, he was much more complicated than the way it's, than he's seen actually. Yeah. yeah. I've seen people stand there and just regard it. You know, they just, they just stand there and they just look at it. And well, you, sorry. Go, go ahead. I don't mean to interrupt you. No, please. Uh, I just have these so many ideas about mm-hmm. my background, but you know, when I was going in, when I was in high school, there was like a revival of the sixties culture in my little small town yeah. where like everybody wanted to be a hippie and mm-hmm. people were into like Jimi Hendrix and, mm-hmm. and, and the doors and these things. Mm-hmm. But I remember people could buy t-shirts of Malcolm X and we're talking about a rural white community yeah. wearing Malcolm X t-shirts Cultural and not icon. really even knowing what, Oh sure. They che- didn't even know. Che Guevara was another one, you know, the, you know, and people didn't know that man was against culture. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's so bizarre, but I mean, I had that influence and mm-hmm. I think it was funny that my first instinct was almost to think of, like well mm-hmm. I'm not, i don't know i don't have any connection because i saw him as a t-shirt yeah I, well, I mean i didn't see him that way but i i responded to it like well that's how people see him the i don't cool factor that. yeah the cool factor yeah, without yeah. like delving in and 
you just have to wonder what the man would think if he was alive today about the Black Lives Matter movement and all the things, all the the terrible things that are going on in the world today with race relations. I mean, I think his what he stood for is more relevant than ever. You know, yeah. in today's world, I think, you know, and your painting is a very, very, it's very deeply regarded. And I was there for the unveiling, you know, when you unveiled it and his family were there and you know, the room was full. And, you know, I'm not sure there was a dry eye in the crowd. My wife is always, she was there and she is always reminding me of that moment when we, when I pulled the, the, the drape off of it, how mm-hmm. there was like a gasp. I, I wasn't, I wasn't engaged in that level. Like, I don't know what's going on most oh, yeah. of the time in that, but she, she will, she reminds me often of like how there was a gasp, like the air was taken out of the room when it was revealed. And that's a positive. She's reminding me when in my lower, my, when I'm not feeling as confident. Like I'll send you pictures. We have pictures in our <laughs> portfolio. I don't know if they sent them to you, but I have a whole thing in our archive. No, I don't I'll, have I'll, it. I'll, I'll forward them to you, you. You know what I remember the most is being so embraced and accepted by the family. Mm-hmm. Uh, like his family that was there. I think it was like yeah. a daughter or a, 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 cousin, a niece, a niece, I yeah. think. I can, I'm sorry, I forget. But no, I, my brain in those moments doesn't work as well as when I'm in my studio alone and <laughs> painting. But uh, I, yeah, I didn't expect to be embraced like that. I didn't expect mm-hmm. to be like accepted. Um, I didn't, I don't know, but it was just so overwhelming how they embraced me and the fact that I did the work and they the, were so happy with it. Well, the, the vision that you, you imparted to that work comes through, you know, and... Um, it was, it, you legitimized it from the beginning with just how you approached the project. It wasn't, you weren't rubber stamping anything. You know, you learned about them and, and, it, and it comes across in the painting beautif- beautifully. Um, that's not all you've done for us though. I, I remember seeing, uh, I think it was a woman at a piano. There was a portrait or a picture and it was fanciful and it currently hangs in our uh, Cesar Chavez Learning Center behind the desk. I had to find a home for it and what better home, you know, than you know, our Cesar Chavez Learning Center, you know. Um, you know, this is a great story. You you might have to edit this one. Please, uh, <laughs> share. So Dr. Knight, like I didn't really, I really, I still don't know much about him. He's a man of mystery to me. Mm-hmm. And he really, he really, he, I mean, he does seem like a mystery man to me still to this day. But hey, not alone. He, he was a paint, he was a painter. Mm-hmm. And from the beginning, his projects were always like, ah, what, what are you? what what is <laughs> how i that's basically all i could say but mm-hmm. that particular painting is actually part of that is dr knight's painting he <laughs> yeah i wonder if people want to know that like really? and i've never shared this is actually would make me uncomfortable years ago because mm-hmm. i did not know that that painting was going to be how i didn't know what the the end goal of that painting was but he's like hey i started this painting years ago mm-hmm. like like, this is what I did. I love this idea. I want you to, to kind of take it in this direction. I had no idea. Now, when you look at that painting, I'd say 95% of it is my, like, mm-hmm. there's no evidence of his brush mm-hmm. anymore or mm-hmm. color, but it's it, it, it definitely guided it because he had put down paint and I had to, like, yeah. interact with the colors, the color schemes and stuff like that. And he had a, he was painting masterpieces at the time. And there was a masterpiece, and I can't remember who the artist, it wasn't a well-known artist. He was trying to copy for that painting of a piano player. Yeah. And then I just turned it into, like, what you're looking at there. And, you know, I don't know that there's a lot of, meaning in that painting for me 
But at the time, I was really fixated on uh, Gustav Klimt. Yes, the <laughs> gold. Can, yeah, yes. you can see like oh, the mark yeah. making, and yeah. I was trying to. I was thinking about how patterns and I, I don't know, like the that yeah, the simple shapes and patterns and use of color, like probably coming out of the Malcolm X, like how that red is mm. so powerful in there, and how simple that red can be and i think that was impacting that painting it it looked to me and i've been immersed in the in the commercial world for decades but it looked it comes across like um a double spread in an entertainment magazine a great one profiling you know uh, a musician because it's got these fanciful lines and circles and these shapes that come out that that represent probably the music that she's making, right? Yeah. And I think that's as, you know, yeah, I think that's is what it is. It's a simpler painting to me. Like when I think of that, like mm -hmm. I don't have any depth. There's no depth. It was just pure, like pure making something I thought was beautiful. It is. And it's very that's, pleasurable that to look it. at. It was just and a pleasurable painting. I enjoyed painting it. Yeah. Uh, there was a lot. Dr. Knight had done that twice to me. Like I showed up <laughs> with a painting and I'm yeah. like, what? Yeah, but I but I felt like we were some kind of secret, like not a secret. Like I felt like we had a connection. Like I felt like him and I had a connection. So I was willing to do whatever I needed to do to yeah. interact with him or to like kind of see where he was going to go with things. Yeah. I always felt like I don't know what you're going to do, but it seems powerful. So anyway, I was willing to take that. That was the second painting that he had sort of started and like was like here, do something. With I'm this. trying to limit my use of the word cool, because. I use it like salt, right? But that is just remarkably cool. It really is. It's a fun story now that yeah. I think about it, like yeah. thinking about he's, how it turned out. He's very self of and he was a, a technician with the oils. I have seen his work and very self-effacing and very modest. Didn't want anything to be named after him or, or any of it. He wanted his legacy, I think, I mean, I think, to be for the students and for it to be embodied by the college as a whole rather than, yeah, a building named after, you know, he, he fought that he would fight it, yeah. you know, very modest. Um, he had that, he had that like vision like that. I don't know that he even knew. I, I kind of think people mm -hmm. like that have this sort of like mission. Mm -hmm. It's like a hidden secret mission. He's not completely aware of it. He doesn't know why he's doing everything, but he was on, he was going to do it. He was going to see it through. And yeah. I, you know, I don't know, like, it definitely there's an energy that is on this campus that he has left and parted. Like, parted. Well, one of the things that always kind of still is surprising to me that he, he wouldn't be regarded as a frustrated artist. Some people would impose their artistic will on others or try to work through them to, to work out their creativity. He wouldn't do that. You know, he'd plant the seed or light the fuse, step back and and let it go he did and that happened with everything the malcolm x like i didn't hear from him until i mm -hmm. showed him the painting and it was i mean he basically said do this and i showed up with a painting and he seemed to love it and it was yeah. over he didn't like i'm sure he could be critical but i was thinking about the difference you know not to get on the dr knight too much mm -hmm. although i don't mind that um he just, you know, he probably did have the technical ability to do paintings, but you mm -hmm. could tell he didn't, the vision, was, his vision was not about that. Yeah. He didn't have like content for paintings, yeah. but he had plenty for the campus. It's yeah. kind of interesting. Like he had the content to build things here to work with people and stuff. But I think that was the thing that he felt 
maybe lacked in the paintings. He was like, here, fix this because he was, he enjoyed painting, but he didn't have like something to communicate in that, you know, Just but the cultural context did. and context with the region. I remember the first time I saw that painting was in his office. He called us in and it was against the wall and there were like three or four of us and we just stood there and he just he he just stood there and was regarding it and just taking it in i mean the way art patrons do being confronted with an actual and i you know i it's not every day that you see an actual um oil painting that it's like that that goes that deep and um it is. It's. It's. I wish well, I could. I wish I could experience the way an audience does sometimes because in that moment, you know, I'm thinking he's either going to be really disappointed, or yeah. really excited, and there you don't. No you don't know. Like you, as the artist, you don't know. Like no, it's like a happen. fine meal. You know, you just take it in a little, one bite at a time. It makes you wonder about comedians. You know, do they find any jokes funny? Do songwriters, do they enjoy the music or do they just dive into the technical aspect of it? I would imagine it has to be hard. Yeah. I, I always say that I like being an artist ruins like museums for me. Like, <laughs> all I can yeah. do is dissect yeah. and like try to figure out how it was created or, you know, judge it. Like I very rarely get what you were describing there where it's like, oh, wow. How you know, because you know to yeah. me, I see the... I see the fears that were involved in that. Like even looking at it now, sometimes I'm afraid to go back and look at it. You know, I hear these actors always say, I never, like like Johnny Depp, you know, in the, recently he's like, I never saw that movie. Uh-huh. And I can, I can understand why, because sometimes like I'm just afraid I'm going to go back and I'm going to see something and it's going to torture me for years. Like, oh, yeah. because I'm just, it'd be better if I just don't see it. That's again. a creative for you. <laughs> and I'm going to try to twist your arm to walk over there after this and get your picture in front of it. Oh, I'll yeah. do that for you. I appreciate it's, that. It's been a good enough interview. I'll no, definitely it's do been, that. It's been wonderful. I mean, you've uncovered a, many things that, um, they're just golden nuggets, you know, and, and give this, give the work even greater depth than it already has. Um, well, I, was there anything, um, with regard to legacy or, um, social impact furthering? Where do you see yourself, you know, in 10 years, 15, 20 years, anything you want to do? Yeah. You know, you've brought up, I'd, I'd like to, I'd like to get more, uh, of my, voice recorded someday like about the process i feel yeah. like i have lived a fairly and in- i've had a fairly interesting artistic journey mm-hmm. and uh i've enjoyed i'm i'm realizing as i get older i really enjoy hearing it again myself even yeah. like thinking back about it um but i do i i would like to address the social impact and i think this is related and i'm sorry for going off on tangents but i guess it's the way i work this is this is good but i was in a philosophy class years ago and there was a monk up there talking about being an ascetic. I think I'm saying that right. You know, he goes goes out and on his own and mm-hmm. like worships God. And I immediately thought I was going to get him. I was going to like catch him in something. I'm like, well, if you're if you're like trying to work for God, like, is it really good that you're on your own? You know, that you're mm-hmm. just out there doing this thing for yourself. And he kind of turned it on me and he said, like, well, when you like develop yourself, there's like a um, you create something inside you that becomes a magnet. Like people are drawn to like love. They're drawn to mm. like truth. They're drawn to goodness. It doesn't really matter if you want to communicate that. Like you, you just, it just radiates from you. Mm. And so I don't, I often don't think about social impact and I don't really 
want to, I feel like it will trap me into something that is bad because I want to be more like that monk. Like if there's something good in what I do, if there's something true, I mean, I just, I'm just lucky that I was able to even capture that at all. And I think, I think you're, it'll what you're doing through. is you're not imposing an agenda on your own work. No, I just, if it's, if it's not good, if it's mm. not true, if it isn't loving, if it isn't, then it will be, it'll be that. And mm. if it is, if it, if, you know, if there's something truthful about who Malcolm X was as a human being and, and what he stood for in there, like, I mean, I'm, I'm thankful that that's there. Um, but you know, I, I don't know that I can control that. And I just hope that that's coming through in my genuine pursuit of what I'm doing. Right. I hope that that is a result of a genuine pursuit of excellence or mastery or just understanding, understanding. That's a much better word. Understand. So. No, that's very, very well put. Um, you know, very well put. <laughs> There's a, a thing about, um, political agendas and how true art does not have a political agenda. And I think they were using a, a Rolling Stone song, an old Rolling Stone song. They were trying to find an angle in it. And, and it's not really an angle. It's just creativity coming through, you know, art's mission, is just to change your mind a little bit, even if it's for the worse, for the better, to make you feel it's done its work. Yeah. And you not sorry for the, you know, the bumper sticker, you know, saying, but you knocked it out of the park with Malcolm X well, thank for you. Lansing Community College. Uh, Josh Reisner, it has been, uh, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. And if you wouldn't mind coming back and uh, talking some more. Yeah, that'd be great. Okay. If you're all right with that. <laughs> I'm more than all right. This has been great. Thank Thanks. You. Miles Davis once said, do not fear mistakes, there are none. If you want to check out what I've been talking about, just visit this episode at lccconnect.org. Art Happens Here is a production of LCC Connect. Thanks for lending us your imagination. Lansing Community College. This is LCC Connect. LCC Connect. Voices, vibes, vision. Michigan residents age 25 or older may qualify for Michigan Reconnect, a program providing free or reduced tuition to students who have not earned a prior college degree. Reconnect students are responsible for books and fees. Visit lcc.edu slash reconnect for more information. When our son and his wife had children, we thought he would settle down. We didn't know his drinking problems were just getting started. I don't know why he would choose alcohol over his beautiful family. In retirement, I thought my husband and I would enjoy going places and doing things together. Our son's drinking seriously interfered with our plans. All of a sudden, we worried about our grandchildren, and we didn't know what to do or where to go for help. Our son's attorney suggested we try Al-Anon family groups. I didn't want to go because Al-Anon met at a church, but I found out Al-Anon isn't part of any religion. Al-Anon is a spiritual program, not a religious organization. Sometimes they use meeting rooms in hospitals, churches, or schools. I'm glad we tried Al-Anon family groups right here in our community. Is someone's drinking troubling you? You might be surprised at what you can learn in an Al-Anon family group from people just like you. Call 1-888-4-AL-ANON or go to alanon.org.
K-12 Operations at Lansing Community College has been a proud collaborator of the Lansing Promise Scholarship since 2012. The Lansing Promise Scholarship offers graduating high school seniors who live within the Lansing School District and attend a high school within district boundaries an opportunity to attend LCC. Since its inception, over 1,000 enrolled students have saved over $2 million, earning over 400 degrees and certificates, as well as 30,000 credits at LCC. For more information on the Lansing Promise Scholarship, please visit lcc.edu hope. LCC. Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. This is Amy Wagonar from the Historical Society of Michigan with a Michigan History Moment. Her name was Isabella, and during the 19th century, she became a leader of the abolitionist movement. An African-American woman who never learned to read or write, she became a living legend. She settled in Battle Creek, Michigan, and from there witnessed the emancipation of the enslaved people for whom she had labored so hard. Isabella was born about 1797 in Ulster County, New York, enslaved from birth. Isabella married an enslaved man, Thomas, in about 1815. They had five children, but during the next 11 years, Isabella was sold several times. She finally rebelled in 1826, taking her infant daughter, Sophia, and walking to freedom. Having essentially stolen herself, Isabella settled in New York City. She emerged on the national stage in 1843 when she announced that she would travel the North as an itinerant preacher and speak out against slavery. The abolitionist movement was still in its infancy, but Isabella journeyed through the East and Midwest, preaching against slavery and promoting human rights. Although illiterate, she was a dynamic force in the abolitionist movement. Her list of friends was a who's who of the nation's leading abolitionists. Wendell Phillips, William Lloyd Garrison, Laura Haviland, Lucretia Mott, Susan B. Anthony, and Harriet Beecher Stowe. In addition to speaking out against slavery, Isabella promoted women's rights and suffrage, temperance, and prison reform. She earned a living by selling photographs of herself that were captioned, I sell the shadow to support the substance, and from royalties from her biography, published in 1850. She moved to Michigan in 1857, settling first in the Quaker village of Harmonia and then nearby Battle Creek. In Michigan, Isabella continued her fight for human rights. During and after the Civil War, she worked with the Freedmen's Bureau to help newly emancipated slaves. You might think that you've never heard of Isabella, but you have. You see, in 1843, the enslaved woman who stole herself changed her name. As an itinerant preacher, Isabella had become, in essence, a sojourner for truth, and that is why we know her today as Sojourner Truth. Passing away in 1883, Sojourner Truth is interred in Battle Creek's Oak Hill Cemetery. In 1999, a 12-foot-tall bronze statue of this remarkable woman was established in the city's Monument Park. This Michigan History Moment was brought to you by michiganhistorymagazine.org. Examining the issues and topics that affect our lives from the local level to the world stage. Listen to the programs of LCC Connect anytime at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision.
Embracing diversity is a continuing process, one that requires honesty, cooperation, and meaningful conversations. At Lansing Community College, we understand our journey towards inclusion and equity begins with an examination of how we relate to one another. The Office of Diversity and Inclusion has partnered with the Office of Police and Public Safety to create We're Better Than That, an anti-bigotry campaign. To find out more about We're Better Than That, visit lcc.edu. As a veteran of the United States military, I can finally get the opportunity to enjoy special events, like a date with my wife, or going out together with my family and friends, things that we couldn't afford, thanks to Vectix. Every empty seat at a concert, a game, motorsports, or a play is a missed opportunity to say thanks to a veteran and service member. We can help. We can give our veterans a special event where they too can create their own cherished memories. Find out how by visiting www.vettix.org. That's www.vettix.org. Find out how you can make a difference in a veteran's life. Thank you for listening to LCC Connect. I'm Paul Schwartz, and I host a show called The Safety Plan. The Safety Plan is about the latest cyber scams and how to avoid them. You can catch The Safety Plan here on LCC Connect or listen anytime at lccconnect.org. Lansing Community College's dual enrollment program offers the opportunity for qualified high school students to earn college credit while working towards their high school diploma. Dual enrollment lets students receive educational advancement in areas where the student's interest is displayed especially in courses and academic areas not available in the student's high school. To find out more information about dual enrollment, visit lcc.edu. LCC. Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. You're listening to LCC Alumni Stories, a show dedicated to highlighting the amazing alumni of Lansing Community College. I'm Steve Robinson, president of LCC, and on each episode I have the awesome privilege of getting to know one of our many inspiring alums and hearing about their experiences at and since leaving LCC. The LCC alumni community is expansive and far-reaching. They're an incredibly diverse group of people, representative of all walks of life, working in hundreds of industries across the country. LCC Alumni Stories shines a bright light on alumni who make a positive contribution to their community and showcases those who've overcome obstacles and barriers to achieve academic and personal success. These are their dynamic stories. My guest today is Joshua, who is really one of my favorite kind of alumni stories because not only did he attend Lansing Community College, but after graduating in 2019 and transferring on to university, he returned to LCC, where he currently serves as a professional faculty tutor. Welcome to the show, Joshua. I'm excited to be talking to you again. Thank you for having me. Well, it's, it's going to be a great conversation because you have an interesting story. You're uh, an immigrant to the United States. You learned uh, English here. And I've heard a lot about your story, and I can't wait to share it with our listeners. Tell me a little bit about your role as a professional faculty tutor before we start talking about how you got here. Um, I'm tutor at LCC. I tutor psychology, history, 
human nutrition, and religion. Really? Okay, that, that's a broad uh, variety of classes. So you help our students who are, are looking on study skills, preparing for exams. Tell me a little bit about what these sessions are like when you sit down with our students. Uh, usually when they, uh, when they have homework and they, don't, they are a little confused, they don't know what to do, uh, they, they are coming to the tutoring, we are talking about the homework, and uh, I read the assignment mm-hmm. and just explain to them what the assignment is. Okay, so and what's interesting about you, and we'll get to this part of the story, you're helpful to them because you went through a similar process when you came here as a student, right? Yes. Yeah. So one of the things I wanted to, first of all, thank you for doing that important work with yes. our students. That it, really, it really helps with their success, and I appreciate the time you spend with our students helping them be successful in the classroom. Now, one of the things that you and I have talked about, because Joshua and I have talked before, you are an author, and you have a book coming out about your incredible story from before you moved to the United States. Tell me a little bit about the book. What's its title? The book is, uh, the title is Becoming Joshua. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I wasn't Joshua, my name was something different. Okay. And uh, I earned that name. <laughs> Tell me how you earned that name. So when I came to the LCC, I didn't know English. Right. I didn't know how to speak English and read and write. So I enrolled at LCC. I learned English, and one of the tutors who was tutoring me to learn English, uh, she heard my story, and then they adopted me. So, and then when they adopt me, they uh, they asked me if if you want to change your name, and I said absolutely, and they choose Joshua. They adopted you. Yes, officially, I have family after years. That's fantastic. Now they heard your story. And it's a compelling story, which is why they wanted you to write it down. Tell me that story. What what story do you tell in the book Becoming Joshua? So I'm from Iran. Mm -hmm. And uh, almost 16 years ago, 17 years ago, I converted to Christianity. Okay. And uh, in Iran, uh, you cannot convert. I see. To the other religion. So that's technically against the law, what you did. Yes. Okay. So I converted to Christianity. We started to have house church, and then, unfortunately, the government arrested me, and I went to prison for that. And then after a few times, I had no any other choice. So I went to the Turkey as a refugee. I was in Turkey for two years, two and a half years, and then I came to the United States. So in the, in the book, uh, you relate that story of being imprisoned for your religious beliefs, yes. right? which I understand was very, very difficult. Yeah. Yeah. For our listeners, can you give a, a, a bit of a understanding of what some of the hardships that you— you don't have to go into deep detail, but I, I know from talking to you before that this was an incredibly traumatic experience. Yes. So prison in Iran is very different than America. Okay. Uh, I wasn't in prison in America, but <laughs> I was in Iran. So mm-hmm. in Iran, when you're in prison as a person who converted, okay, uh, they don't just put you in prison. They take your soul. How? So it's not just physically. Okay. They psychologically, they abuse you, which when they release you, 
you still have trauma, you know, and it takes years and years and you cannot get rid of that because it wasn't for one year or two years or three years physically being in one room. They abuse you psychologically in many different ways. Oh, no. Well, I'm so sorry that happened to you. Now, how long were you imprisoned in, in Iran? They arrested me a few times. The second time was the longest one, which means it was about 15 months. But 15 months? The second time, yeah. First, first time was three months. Second time was 15 months. And then a few other times, which overall together I was in prison in Iran for 27 months. That's awful. Yeah. I'm so sorry that happened to you, but in the book, which is coming out soon, you you describe this uh, this trauma and yeah. and how you have overcome it uh, through first becoming a refugee. Now, you first went to Turkey. Tell me a little bit about that. How did you leave Iran? How did you how did you get out of the country? And what what was it like there as a refugee? Living in Iran and going to Turkey was really hard. You know, I still remember. When I left Iran, you know, I turned back for the last time I saw the mountain in Iran. Mm-hmm. And I told myself, you won't get back soon. Or you never, I never forget that moment. I even draw that moment uh, to remember, which I can't even forget. So when I went to Turkey, I enrolled to United Nations as refugee, mm-hmm. and then the process was, uh, it was a long process. So I didn't have any money. I didn't have anything except my backpack. Wow. Wow. I want to ask you a question about leaving Iran then, because I, I when I heard you talking, I heard two things. One is, even though terrible things had happened to you in Iran, you were very sad to leave your country, right? You looked at the mountains yeah. and you had this realization that you might not see that landscape again. Yeah. What, was, what, what kind of feelings did you have as you were having that complex thought of, I love where I'm from, but I was treated so poorly here. Talk to me about what that was like for you. you know, even you know, the government treated me very well, not me, many people like me, mm-hmm. you know, because it's it's still where it, that's a place that I born. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Know? And there is a lot of people, they need help spiritually. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I can help them physically. We try. But spiritually, they really need need help. You know, for me, it was when I found Jesus in a darkest country. Mm-hmm. And life was much better for me in that time, even when I was in prison, when I was in pressure, because I knew the real freedom is not the type of freedom that government give it to you. The real freedom is the freedom that you will find and you will understand what the truth is. Wow. wow. And I wanted to share that truth with Anyone, you know, even the homeless, the, those people who, who are poor or rich, it doesn't matter because even if you have money and you are rich, if you don't have a real freedom, which is, to me, the real freedom is knowing the truth, mm-hmm. you are still poor. Right. And speaking of being poor, you mentioned that all you had was your backpack. Yes. You're a UN refugee in Turkey. How do you get from Turkey to the United States? 
So you interviewed me in a few times, mm-hmm. and then uh, they ask me which country you don't want to go. They don't ask you which country you want to go. <laughs> That's an, so they ask you where you don't want to go. Yeah. Um, wow. <laughs> so you told them which countries you didn't want to go to, and and then what happened? And then uh, they choose me. Amer- they choose me the country America. Okay. And then. After America, they sent me again email and they told me which state or do you know anyone? And mm-hmm. I said, I don't know anyone and I have no clue wow. <laughs> about America. Right. So they choose here, mm-hmm. Lansing, uh-huh. and I came to the Lansing. Wow. So you were part of a refugee uh, program that brought yes. you to Lansing with just your backpack. Yes. Wow. And how did you um, end up here at LCC? So when I came here, it was St. Wilson Catholic Church. Okay. And then uh, in first six months, we couldn't enroll in any college because uh, I should have been resident. Got it. Mm -hmm. So they sent us to the library in Lansing, in Capital, Mm -hmm. to you know to just learn some of the basic stuff. Uh Right down the street. Yep. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Uh And then. one of the teacher in library they brought us to the lansing to the lcc mm-hmm. and then they told us we can learn english here okay. and then if we want we, we can continue our education right and that's when you did the esol program here at lcc yes yes yeah. i came to the lcc and then i start esol level one uh-huh. <laughs> very right basic. at the beginning <laughs> yes because i didn't know any english and I had tremendous professors. Yes. You know, they, they didn't just taught me English. They taught me how to come back to the life. Because when I came, I had a lot of trauma. I had a lot of pain. Mm-hmm. I had back pain in that time. I couldn't walk very well. I was using walker to coming to the uh, You were LCC. using a walker to come here? Yes. Okay. And those professors, not only did they help you with your English, you then started taking classes. Tell me about that, transferring from ESOL to actually uh, taking four-credit classes. So after I finished the English, one of my professors in that time, Mrs. Goraita, Mm -hmm. she told me, if you want to improve your English in a better way, so let's take some classes like psychology, history, which will help you... Uh, to learn better listening, better speaking. Mm-hmm. So I took some classes, and then I thought, I love it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you really, really liked the classroom. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, what were some of your favorite classes? Absolutely. Psychology classes was awesome. Mm-hmm. And I loved those professors, which they taught me psychology. And reading and writing, I still remember every second of those classes. Wow. Wow. And you've put a lot of that into practice. We'll talk about that in a minute about the book. But um, tell me a little bit about, um, you don't have to say where you're transferring, but you, uh, you, you've you been very successful here as a student. You're a professional tutor, so you help other students be successful. But you're, now you're transferring to a university. What do you hope to study and what degree do you hope to earn uh, at university? My goal is graduate as a psychology student. Mm-hmm. And the reason that I want to study psychology because I really want to understand why some people torture 
you want to understand what what moves people to torture to torture to torture others because of you know belief right or because of who they want to be and in, to me that that field is very important you know i just want to understand human behavior better right and you mm. come at this from a very specific vantage point because of your experience yes there're not many people studying torture who have been through what you've been through yeah i this might be too personal a question but when you read about things like humans mistreating other humans or or the psychology behind torture that must be so hard for you given what you're what you've been through what what's it like to study that on an academic level when you've experienced it so personally is it is it is it harder you think when you experience it definitely is not good because you are in that situation but in academic it is still is not easy no i mean do you ever have to put down what you're reading and take a break yes. yeah it's happened to me a lot sometimes when i when i read some of the human behavior book and that those books is about torturing other people or why they do this it's it takes really more time because you know i have to stop many times mhm and drink water or sometimes walk and then come back and then read it again because it brings back traumatic memories yes yeah wow so what well, as you're working with your professors and, and i know you and i've talked about your professors and with your professors they were moved to encourage you to write your story Tell me about that. Which professors told you you need to write this down and and how did that how did that actually start? It's all a start with Mrs. Goraita. Okay. And she was working with me in ESL level 2, level 3, 4, 5, mm-hmm. all the way. She on. was there with you all the way. <laughs> and yes, uh-huh. yeah. And uh, I remember when I when I start to learn to write one paragraph, she mm-hmm. was with me and then when i start to write the essay i remember i wrote the essay about you know about my fate and mm-hmm. what's happened to me i remember she read that essay for first time and she told me that that's the biggest story it is a big story <laughs> yeah i i never forget she encouraged me she told me and i said i cannot write a lot and she told me just write essay yeah. you know one by one and mm-hmm. then put it together and then you will see the result. So that's inspiring to me. I mean, we I've shared this with you. I I started my career as a writing teacher and I'm so inspired by what you shared because you went from not understanding or speaking the language at all yeah. to being able to read and write start with a paragraph, then an essay, and you are about to be a published author. You are publishing a book. Yeah. Are you proud of that? That is a really big <laughs> accomplishment. Yeah, that's for the person who came to the United States of not knowing any English and in 6 7 years graduate and write a book I'm really happy mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but at the same time I wasn't the person who finished the book tell me about that yeah. you weren't the same person the the per- the same person who started the book is not the same person who finished the book tell me yeah. about that because when I start to write the book you know I I had around 300 pages okay and then my mom and dad which they adopted me they they are tutor here too they found some publishers and some offers to help me to write the, to to make it better right and then 
because of the trauma that I had, I wasn't able to have a connection with anyone or to explain to everyone like what's happened to me mm -hmm. until um, one day I took a math class at LCC mm -hmm. and the tutor who helped me about the math, my math class, she was the author and she wrote some books, but she never published in that time. Okay. And then we were talking about the book as well, and then I gave my book to her. She read it, and she gave it back to me with a 20-page question. Really? <laughs> yeah. So she came back with a lot of feedback and notes and questions. Yeah. And I told her, I think, instead of asking me question in from into the paper, why you let's let's just start it. I want you write the book. And then we started again by spending 100 hours together talking again and writing that, that book. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And it's, and it's, uh, it's finally done and it's going to be published. Yeah. It's, That's incredible. Mm -hmm. I can't wait to see it. I want to get one of the first copies. I want to <laughs> buy one of the first copies. Thank you. In addition to your writing, Joshua, you have done a lot of drawing. Talk to me about uh, what you draw. What what do you like to draw? When I was a child, I loved to draw. Mm -hmm. And even my story started with drawing mm -hmm. because I start to draw a cross in my arm and it end up, I tattooed and then I got beat <laughs> from my father because he was so mad why I tattooed cross. Wow. And then, so it's all a start with drawing and then... I love to draw black and white. Okay, right. It's like a pen and ink drawing that, that you do. Yes. Yeah. And you're very good. You're very good. So, what, so um, what other subjects do you like to draw? I usually love to draw face. Okay. Because I, I think like when you draw the face, you pay attention to every single line in a face. Okay. And it shows me, each line shows me the story. Of that person, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so I love to draw the face. Are are there going to be any of your drawings in the book? We have three of these drawing. They are going in, into in the book, and then we are going to have an art gallery. Oh, okay, yeah. right, right. So there would be an exhibit of your drawings. Now, the ones that are in the book, uh, what what particular drawings will be in there with the story? We choose three of these drawing and each of them represent of one part like the part one i was in iran mm -hmm. the part two i was in turkey and the third part i was in america okay and so, I'm the, in america. so these are then uh illustrations that supplement or go along with what you write about uh, yes. in the book yes, in the yes. book well it's such an accomplishment and the one thing i would like to say joshua is that Every time I've spoken to you about this, you've been so gracious to credit your professors and the people who have helped you, and you are repaying that to our students by helping them as a tutor. Uh, so I want to thank you for that. Also, you mentioned to me that there are other Iranians who've been through what you've gone through, and you've spent some time encouraging them to write. Can you talk to me a little bit about that? How have you... How have you encouraged other people to make sense of what happened to them uh, but through writing? So I decided to, because I couldn't encourage some of the special women who was in prison in Iran, and now I know them, mm -hmm. to write about what's happened to them, except 
I'm the one who starts to write about it, to make it book and then tell them. Okay. Because writing about pain yeah. is not easy. And it's not just about the pain, especially those who goes through the trauma or through the present in Iran, special women. It's not easy to talk about it. Right. Because I went to prison in Iran as a man. Mm -hmm. And then it took me six years psychologically until I prepare my mind to talk about it. Right. And I cannot even imagine for women how much would be hard because even living as a woman in Iran is not easy. Okay. And imagine if you go to the prison as a woman, you go 10 times worse than men's. Really? Is that so you, you, you have learned that the experience that women had in prison was, uh, was more harsh and more Definitely. intense? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's awful to think about. But you shared with me that some of the women you've talked to who've had similar experiences to yours are very happy that you've written your book. Yeah, they were so. I still didn't give them the book to write to read it because mm -hmm. I told them you should order and buy the book. That's right, order and buy the book. That's a, <laughs> and that's an important role of an author, right? You want people yeah. to read it, and yeah. and you you have spent a lot of time writing it. So, yeah. um, well, that's wonderful. Well, Joshua, I really appreciate you spending some time with me thank on you. alumni stories. Thanks for what you do for our students. Thank Thanks you. for sharing your story thank as you. uh, uh, the, your success here at mm -hmm. LCC. And I wish you all the best as you transfer to university to continue your studies in psychology. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me here. Yeah. LCC Alumni Stories is recorded and produced by Steve Robinson on LCC's downtown campus. The soundtrack, Who Told You, is licensed through DeWolf Music and was performed by Ian McCanty. Thanks for listening. Learn more about what our alum have been up to at lccconnect.org. If you're an alum from LCC and you want to share your story with me, send me an email at steve underscore robinson at lcc.edu. Until next time, keep learning. This is LCC Connect on WLNZ 89.7 FM. Sharing the voices of Lansing Community College. Visit us at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Voices, vibes, vision. Founded in 1957, LCC has addressed the needs of Michigan industries through education for more than 65 years. Anchored by the downtown campus located in the heart of Lansing, LCC serves mid-Michigan communities with additional campuses in Delta Township, East Lansing, and Livingston County. The college offers more than 200 degrees and certificate programs and is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Those interested in learning more about LCC may visit lcc.edu slash youbelong. This has been a presentation of LCC Connect, a weekly program that features the voices vibes, and vision of Lansing Community College. All shows featured on LCC Connect are recorded at the WLNZ studio located on LCC's downtown campus. Each program is podcast based and can be heard anytime at lccconnect.org. 
If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on one of our shows, connect with us by emailing lcc-connect at lcc.edu.